Well, good morning. I am glad to be back here with you. Been on the road quite a bit lately, and it's nice to be home. Nice to have a little rain to come home to, and a good time to be here with you. I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about a passage out of 1 Thessalonians where Jesus talks about a thief in the night. When I was in college, the local Baptist Student Union showed some films, and I guess these were traveling all over the United States. There were four films in this series, movies, and they were the Thief in the Night series, and there was a Thief in the Night number one, and a Thief in the Night number two, and three, and four, and each one of them had different names, I guess. But but the idea was this. It showed a real-world scenario, and everybody's going about living their lives, and they've got this preacher on there, and he's preaching to his congregation about, about Jesus is going to come, and He's going to rapture people away, and when He does, I mean, we're all going to get raptured away, and, and some people are believing Him, and other people are going, ah, oh, this guy's a nut. And, and then all of a sudden, like a third of the people on earth just disappear. I mean, they're gone. And the rest of the three movies that follow that are about these people who get left here during what they call the tribulation. And I mean, it's bad. And there are a few people who were associated with Christianity but really didn't trust God and they hadn't followed Him. So they weren't raptured away, but they were still around. But they knew about the Bible and they knew what the Bible taught and they knew what the preachers had said. And so they began to serve God and then you develop this group of people who who are trying to exist and serve God during this period of time. It was requested that I talk on this topic because sometimes we hear people talk about that today. At the time that happened when I was in college, it was kind of a, you know, it was a... It was back before Friday the 13th movies and all of that, and uh, or Freddy Krueger, and was that Friday the 13th? That wasn't Friday. That was Nightmare on Elm Street, wasn't it? <laughs> anyway, it was back before a lot of your scary movies got real popular, and so this was scary to people. And there was a big talk all over campus about it. And people would ask me, because as I, I've told you all, I was Mr. Bible Debate Man in my college when I was in school. And they'd come ask me, what do you think about that? And I'm going, oh, I don't believe it. I, I think that's wrong. But I didn't really know how to explain it. And the honest truth is, it was a little scary to me, even though I didn't really buy into it. It's just frightening the thought that people would persecute Christians and all of that. And... Of course, we know that's happened throughout history. People have persecuted Christians. What I want to talk about today is that idea and what it, what it, uh, what passages they use to get that. Boy, I'm having trouble with my microphone. Can't get it on my belt. There we go. That's what I want to talk about. So first, let's look. Let me explain to you basically the idea that uh, is laid out for us. And you're going to see this in all the books and on the TV shows and stuff. They're going to say Christ ascended in the book of Acts chapter 1. We know that's true. This is the current time. That's the age of uh, that we live in right now. The day will come in which there's going to be a rapture. Now, this is their, their explanation. They say that God's going to make all of the Christians just disappear. And if an uh, airplane pilot is a Christian, he's just going to be gone and the plane's going to go down. 
You've seen bumper stickers. In case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. Maybe you've seen those bumper stickers. That's the idea that if you're driving down the road, and I'm, I've got my family in the car, and we're driving down the road, and we're all Christians, when the rapture comes, we're just gone, and my van's just flying down the road and runs into whatever it runs into. Uh, because God's going to take everybody away who's Christians. Then there's going to be seven years of tribulation. And the seven years of tribulation is seven years of terrible, terrible things. The Antichrist is going to rise up and create a one-world government and he's going to hunt anybody, anywhere who believes in God. And, and there's going to be great torture. Then Christ is going to return and there's going to be this huge battle called the Battle of Armageddon. And Jesus is going to Jerusalem and he's going to get a bunch of Israelis and they are going to build this army and they are going to put the whoop on all the forces of evil, and Jesus then will set up a kingdom and He will rule instead of the Antichrist, and He's going to rule for a thousand years. And for that thousand years, everything's going to be good. I mean, there's going to be no crime, there's going to be no evil, no wickedness. Uh, yet there will be struggle. Each generation will have to be converted to Christ, but it, it's going to happen and it's all going to be wonderful. Then Christ is going to leave and there's going to be a little season when the devil who's been bound for this thousand years is loosed. And he can go and do wickedness and do evil and things are going to get bad again for just a little season. And then Jesus is going to come back. But this time when He comes, He's going to bring all the Christians who got raptured away back here, He's going to bring them back with Him. And there's going to be the final end of all of... uh, Satan and his forces, then there will be final judgment, and from that judgment, then everyone will go to eternity, heaven or hell. Now, we have run through a bunch of stuff real quick. I want to show you a couple of things about this. One, I want to show you some passages, the the verses they use to try to argue that this is true. And as you can tell, I don't believe this is what the Bible teaches. Okay, And I'm going to show you the passages that they use, and then we're going to talk about why I believe it's a misuse of those passages. The first passage that... Oh, by the way, fundamental piece of their thing I forgot to mention. They believe the church lasts through this period of time right here before the return of Christ and Armageddon. And then when Christ comes back, He will establish His kingdom. A main piece of their belief is that Jesus came to set up the kingdom, but He ran into trouble once He got here. See, John the Baptist went around preaching to everybody, hey, the kingdom of heaven's at hand, it's coming. But he didn't realize the Jews weren't going to accept Jesus. And because the Jews didn't accept Jesus, they kind of derailed the plan. Jesus was going to come and set up the kingdom, but they rejected Him. So instead, Jesus went to plan B, and plan B was the church. And He set up plan B, and He let the church be here for this period of so many hundreds of years now until He finally comes back and then He'll set up His kingdom. So God kind of had plan A and plan B. When the Jews rejected Him, He went to plan B. Let's look at uh, some of their passages. There's a passage in Daniel. Daniel was a prophet. You know who he was. He's the guy who was thrown into the lion's den and the lions didn't eat him. Daniel made some prophecies about what was going to happen in the future. And one of his most famous prophecies is the prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel. 
Okay, and you can find this in the book of Daniel chapter 9. And we don't have time to do a thorough examination of all these this morning, but notice this. It said, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city until Messiah the Prince. There should be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off till the end of the war. Desolations are determined. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. Okay, now, in this passage, he says there's going to be 70 weeks. And that is, it's prophetic. It's not literally there's going to be 490 days. Okay, but it's 70 weeks. And that was prophetic. A lot of people say, well, one week was a year and all the we don't have time to get into a discussion of trying to figure all that out. But what they say is this. There's going to be 62 weeks. Then there's going to be 7 weeks. Okay? So that's 69 and there's really 70 weeks. So their argument is this. What happens is there's, there's 69 weeks and then there's this big gap because the Jews didn't accept Jesus. And then that 70th week will happen way down in the end. So they say all these things are going to happen up to the 69th week and that's going to, as we just looked at, that's when the Messiah the Prince will come. Now you all know who Messiah the Prince was. Well, that was Jesus. So there's going to be 70 weeks until Jesus comes, this says. Then he breaks it into 7 weeks and 62 weeks. And he notice what he talks about. He talks about desolation and abomination. Now that became a very popular, well-known phrase among the Jews. That Daniel talked about the abomination of desolation. And he goes ahead and says this, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation... Now, what we've done right here, this is Daniel, and this is what Daniel said. There are going to be desolations, and there are going to be abominations. About... 500 years, give or take, after Daniel lived, Jesus preached. And Jesus preached a sermon one time. He was in the temple. And all the, you know, the temple was fabulous. It was magnificent. And all of His disciples were around Him and they said, Look at the temple, Jesus. Isn't this amazing? He said, You know what? This is all going to be destroyed. It's all going to be torn down. They said, Really? Tell us about this. And so Jesus talked to them in Matthew chapter 24. What He told them is recorded. And Jesus told them this. He said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. So, Jesus says, you remember what Daniel talked about? Daniel said there'd be 70 weeks and the Messiah would come and the Messiah then would be cut off and there would be this abomination and desolation. He said, when you see that happen, you'll know things are fixing to get really, 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 really bad. It's going to be worse than it's ever been since the history of the world. Then he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. 
Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now, doesn't that sound ominous? I mean, Jesus is talking and He says, Guys, Daniel told you about this. And when you see what Daniel was talking about start to happen, you need to know it's going to be it's going to be terrible. It's going to be worse than it's ever been. It's going to be bad. And there you'll see the sign of the sun. I mean, the sky, the, the moon will be turned to blood and the sun will be turned dark. Have you all ever seen anything like that happen? That's the description. They read what Daniel said and they read this and they go, wow, you know what? There's going to be a time of tribulation. That seven-year period, they say, one day is a year... They say that 70th week is going to be a period of tribulation, and they quote what Jesus said here. Is that right? Does that make sense? Well, obviously it's right because Jesus said it. I didn't mean, is Jesus right or not? But I mean, does this teach that there's going to be a time after Christians are raptured away that there's going to be terrible tribulation on this earth? I want you to notice with me his description. He says, Then two men will be in the field, and one will be taken, and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, and the other left. So Jesus says, What Daniel prophesied about is going to happen, and when you see it start happening, it's going to be bad tribulation. The sun will be dark. The moon will turn to blood. You'll see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of glory. And where there's one... There's two people in the field. One of them's going to disappear. One of them's going to be taken and the other's going to be left. And two women, one to be taken and the other. Doesn't that sound like what I described to you? It does to me when I read it on the surface. I mean, that really, it sounds that way. Why would I not believe that that's what's going to happen, the description that we had before? I want to show you something else Jesus said in this passage. Jesus said this, So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Now, Jesus has got all these people there and He's just told them, you watch for Daniel's abomination of desolation. And when you see it, things are going to get bad. He says, you need to watch. You need to watch. You need to look because when you see it, you'll know it's near. And I want you to understand, guys, the people standing here, you won't die before this happens. It's going to happen in this generation. Have you ever read in history about that happening? I mean, the moon turned to dark, or blood, and the sky turned to darkness, and... But Jesus said it would happen in this generation, the people He was talking to. I can tell you, God didn't just press pause and all of a sudden, 1900 years later, this hasn't happened yet. This actually did happen. And it happened in the destruction of Jerusalem. And Matt will preach a sermon on that one of these days and tell us all about the destruction of Jerusalem. I know he studied that quite a bit. But this, a lot of it is symbolic language. The thing for you and I to remember is when you read these verses and they sound scary and they sound ominous and it sounds kind of like, yeah, people are going to be disappearing and there's going to be all this. Jesus said that was going to happen right then. 
It wasn't going to happen 2,000 years later. It was going to happen before those people died. It did. Another passage that's used, and this is the thief in the night passage. And when you tie all these together and skip little things like all of you are going to still be alive when this happens, why, you can build quite a story here. It says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, what's happened here is the church in Thessalonica sent Paul some questions. They had some confusion going on. They had some people teaching, Hey, your loved ones who died, they missed it. Jesus is coming back and they're already dead. They missed it. And Jesus is straightening that out with these people. And He's saying, the people that died in Christ, they're not gone. They didn't miss it. When Jesus comes back, they'll be raised out of their graves. He said, the Lord Himself, Jesus, is going to come down from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise first. He goes ahead and says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall be always, we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another. He says, those of us who are still alive are going to be caught up together and meet the Lord in the air. He says, when that happens, we're going to be there with the Lord forever. Thus shall we ever be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another. In this passage, Jesus is trying to comfort... or Not Jesus, but Paul is comforting these Christians in Thessalonica. And he's telling them, your mama that died last week, she didn't miss Jesus' return. She didn't die and now it's over and she doesn't get to go to heaven. He said, it's not that way. He said, everyone who's dead in Christ... They're going to come out of their graves. When I think about a passage like this, you know, I think about my grandparents. Thankfully, my grandparents were Christians. I lived in Lubbock, Texas in 1984. Y'all remember that? Danny and Angie lived there too. My grandpa died in 1984. I hadn't seen him since then. I had a dream one time that I was driving through the mountains of Colorado and I stopped at a gas station and Grandpa came out to pump gas in my car. Someday, I'm going to see Grandpa again. Someday, he's going to come out of that grave. That's what Jesus is saying. Yeah, they didn't miss it. When Jesus comes back, when He comes back, they're going to come out of the grave. And those who are alive when that happens... We're not just going to get left here, but we're going to get caught up. In another passage, he says, we'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And we're going to go up and meet the Lord. And notice, he says, thus shall we always be with the Lord. From that moment on, when we're caught away with the Lord, we're going to be with Him forever. There's not going to be a seven and a half year period and then come back here and live here and then go back. All of that stuff is not in this story. You don't get that from reading this passage. He goes right ahead with this passage and he says this, But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. 
But you, brethren, are not in the darkness, so this day should overtake you as a thief. Therefore, comfort each other. He says this. He says, when Jesus is coming back and the trumpet's going to sound and people are going to come out of the grave, He said, you know as well as I do, we don't know when that's going to happen. He said, that's going to be just like a thief in the night. Now, we've never had a thief break into our house at night. Uh, hope I never do. But we did have a thief break into our car one time when we were at uh, SeaWorld. I had no idea that was going on. And I mean, it just happened all of a sudden. And we were there at the car and it was had been robbed. We didn't plan it. Normally, a thief doesn't give you notice and say, Hey, I'm coming. Y'all get ready. A thief in the night is something that's surprising. It's sudden. And when we talk about that, that sounds a little scary. I mean... At night, we lock our doors. We have an alarm system at our house because we don't want a thief in the night getting in because that's frightening. We don't want him to get in and hurt us or take our things. It's frightening, but Jesus said, that's what it's going to be for people who aren't Christians. They're going to be bold and they're going to be brash. They're going to live their lives and they're going to think it doesn't matter. Nothing's ever going to change. Nothing's ever going to happen. He said, but it's going to come and they shall not escape. He said, it's like labor pains on a pregnant woman. You know, we've got four kids. All of a sudden, my wife would tell me, hey, (laughs) you know what that's like, don't you, Jason? Hey, it's time. (laughs) When it comes, it just that's just the way it is. And when Jesus comes back, going to be just like that. You know, Yancey, I tried to figure out a way to work that little video clip you had in. Because Yancey's got a video clip and a guy's preaching and then bang, all of a sudden, it's over. And it's very startling. And But it makes the point that, you know, when it happens, it's just going to happen. There's not going to be any getting ready. There's not going to be any... Would you sing one more verse of that, brother? I want to respond now. I mean, it's it's just going to be over. But notice what he says in the end of this passage. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Therefore, comfort each other. He says, you're not in darkness. The thief in the night is going to sneak up on the bad guys, not on the good guys. If you're in a place and they're coming in to... You know, the army's coming in to take out all the bad guys and you're a good guy in that place, they give you a heads up. They let you know what's going on. And that's what Jesus says He's done here. Now, there's one other passage I want to mention, and that's this. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up, and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Now, this is the final passage that uh, they turn to a lot. And I want to look at a couple of things in this. One, it's in the book of Revelation, down to the end of the book of Revelation. And he says there's an angel going to come down from heaven. He's got keys. And he's going to take this key to the bottomless pit and he's going to get a chain and he's going to catch the devil and he's going to chain up the devil. Okay, and they talk about, well, see, the devil's going to be bound for a thousand years and cast into a bottomless pit. And that is what this says. The question is, what does this mean? 
And I'm going to tell you, it does not mean literally the words that it says. Let me show you how you can know that. Have you ever seen a chain that you could chain up the devil with? Could you chain up the devil with a chain? No, because he's a spiritual being. You can't chain up a spiritual being with a physical chain. Have you ever seen a pit, a hole you could throw a devil into and he couldn't get out? A bottomless hole? You know what a pit is? It's a hole with a bottom. (laughs) There's no such thing as a bottomless pit. That doesn't exist. So what he's doing is like he does in the rest of the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 1, he says, I put this in signs and symbols. These are signs or symbols representing other things. And what he says is this. The day's going to come when an angel, which was a messenger from God, would come down from heaven and he would bind the devil. Notice the binding of the devil. He was going to bind him for a thousand years. And notice what happened when he bound him for a thousand years. He should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ came and He limited the devil. He bound the devil. He bound the, the works and the power of the devil. You know in the Old Testament, or New Testament, Matthew chapter 4, do you remember Jesus was taken by the devil up to a high place when the devil was tempting Him? And the devil showed Him all the kingdoms of the earth and He said, if you'll bow down to Me, I'll give you all those kingdoms. Do you remember that? When he said that, you know what Jesus' answer to him was? Silly devil, you don't own those kingdoms. You can't give those to me. Is that what Jesus said? No. Jesus said, no, I won't worship you because I'm only to worship one God. Now that is what the Scriptures teach us about the power that the devil had. The devil did own the world. The devil owned all the, the world. He had all the king. He deceived all the nations with the exception of Israel and most of the time he deceived them too. So, what happened was the devil was deceiving all the world and then Jesus came only to the Jews. He preached only to the Jews. He died. He was resurrected. And in Matthew 28, he gathered his disciples and he said, Now... All authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. Matthew 28. Go therefore into all nations and preach the gospel to every creature. This was the first time in history that the good news, the gospel was spread to all the world. And so that's what, uh, that's what's going on here. One other thing I want to point out here about this, the thousand years. It does say a thousand years here, but that's symbolic just like the chain and just like the pit. The only place in the Bible that it talks about the devil being bound for a thousand years is this verse. That's it. It's right here. It's nowhere else in the Bible. It's only in the book of Revelation. And all through the Bible, a thousand is a phrase that's used to explain or to illustrate the entirety of something. You know, like we might say that I I did something and some do you do it all? I say, yeah, the whole nine yards. That's a phrase that we use. Do y'all use that phrase or is that just... Y'all have heard that phrase, the whole nine yards? By that, I don't mean I measured out nine yards of something. and I just mean that's all of it. I did it all. And that's exactly what this phrase here means. In the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, Jesus 
is talked about in His mercy, God. And God, uh, Moses says this, that God will show mercy to them who trust Him to a thousand generations. But God's going to show mercy to a thousand and ten generations or a thousand and fifty generations. He's going, to, he's going to show mercy to everyone. That's the way they said that. David, in uh, the book of... Uh, book of Psalms, chapter 76, I believe it is, he said that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Well, you know what that means? That means God owns all the cows. They all belong to Him. That's what that's saying. And likewise, when he says that the devil is going to be be uh, set, a, set in this uh, pit for a thousand years... That means He would deceive the nations no more till that thousand years were over, till the entirety of the period that God had assigned. Now, what I want to do is just show you right quick. What, what we read in the Bible is this, that there will be a thousand years between the ascension and the return of Christ. Now you say, well, now it's been, what, almost 2,000 years now, hasn't it? Or maybe a little bit more than 2,000 years. But when you read in the Bible that thousand years represents the entirety, what the Bible teaches is for that entire period of time, the kingdom of God, which is the church, is established. And for that entire period of time, Christ is reigning in the world. And I want to show you just just a few reasons. We don't have time to look at all that this morning. A few reasons why this matters. Number one. This doctrine, as I, uh, Jackson and I were talking yesterday when we were working on this lesson, we were talking about why does it matter? I mean, really. If I believe, okay, we're all going to disappear and then there's going to be seven years of tribulation, and, and why does this matter? And I'm going to tell you just a few reasons, number one, that I believe this matters. Number one, it's a wrong view of God. It's not what the Bible teaches us about God. The Scriptures say that God determined to deliver Jesus. It says, Him, that's Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. He said that Jesus was crucified by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. God planned from the very beginning to crucify Jesus or have Jesus crucified. The Bible calls Him the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. You see, what did not happen is Jesus come thinking the Jews would accept Him and then they rejected Him and God changed His plan. That didn't happen. And when we teach people, when we allow people to believe, when we believe ourselves that God is the kind of God that, well, if we reject His plan, He's just got to go to plan two or plan three or something else. It'll all work out in the end, but God's got to manipulate Himself for us. That's a wrong view of God. Our God is mighty. Our God is powerful. Our God is God. And nothing that we do can change Him. He's God. And we change. And I believe that it is a very weak God that has a plan to send His kingdom and then a bunch of Jews say, no, we don't trust you and we don't want to do what your son says. So he has to go, oh, okay, well, let's do something different instead. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a powerful, living God. And when He makes a plan, that plan comes to pass. 
And this view presents a very weak, weak view of God. Another thing that's wrong with this is it presents a very wrong view of Christ. It presents the view as a political conqueror, as a military conqueror, that Jesus is going to come and He's going to get an army and they're going to go fight and He's going to have a palace and He's going to have a throne. And, and it's almost like you're listening to Sean Hannity or something about how the politics of the world are going to play out. And it's, it's not like that in the Bible. When you read in the Bible, Jesus said this, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Jesus' plan was never to come and set up a thousand years of peace on this earth. Because it's not going to happen on this earth. Jesus' kingdom was a spiritual kingdom. Jesus said this, For this purpose was the Son of God manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus didn't come to set up a kingdom here on this earth. Jesus came to destroy the devil's hold on the world and save souls of people. Listen to this passage. It says that He might destroy the works of the devil. I was getting ahead of myself here. Jesus Christ came to destroy the devil's work. That's what He did. Jesus overcame the devil. Look at what it says now about the devil. It says, He Himself likewise shared in the same that through death He might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. And how did Jesus do that? Jesus did that, this says, by setting up a system that the devil was destroyed by the power of death. Through death, there's what I'm looking for. Through death, He destroyed the devil. Now, let's think about that for just a second. Does the devil still exist? Peter said he walks around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But this says Jesus came and through death destroyed him who had the power over death, that is the devil. So this says that when Jesus died, He destroyed the devil who has the power of death, right? but the devil's still here. How does that work? Well, this word destroyed doesn't mean cease to exist. The word, the Greek word that's translated destroyed here means all the pieces are there, it's just broken and it doesn't work. You know, something can be destroyed without ceasing to exist. The devil's power over the world was taken. This belief, the belief in the rapture and the tribulation and all that. It says God is weak and He couldn't make His plan work. It says Jesus came to be a conqueror and He couldn't accomplish that, so He had to go to plan B. It says the devil is powerful. In fact, one of the most popular books written on this subject was called Satan is Alive and Well on Planet Earth. And what the Bible teaches instead is that Satan is crippled and dying on planet earth. He's defeated. Jesus Christ did accomplish what He came to accomplish. It's a wrong view of the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell or Hades will not prevail against it and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He was talking to Peter there. The church was not some secondary replacement plan. It wasn't some second-rate replacement of the kingdom. It wasn't, I tried to set up the kingdom and that failed, so I'll do this. No, the kingdom and the church throughout Scripture are talked about as being one and the same. They're part of the same. The church are saved people. That's what Jesus came to do is save people. 
His whole point was to save people. And that's what the church is. That wasn't a secondary thought. And anyone that's saved, Jesus Christ is king over them in their lives. And that's, that's the last point here is that it is the wrong view of the kingdom. The kingdom, the Bible says Jesus began to preach and say, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Did you know Jesus preached about the kingdom all the time? If you've read the Gospels, you know that. All the time He preached about the kingdom. All His parables, you know what they were about? The kingdom. He said, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man who went into a far country. And uh, the kingdom of heaven is likened to this or that. All of His parables were about the kingdom. Wouldn't it be odd if Jesus came to set up a kingdom, preached about it all the time, and that the last minute said, well, that didn't work. Let's do something different. That would be odd. It would be odd because it's not true. It's just not what the Bible teaches. It's the wrong view of a kingdom. The kingdom is not something that's going to be set up as a political institution here on this earth. There's not going to be a state over in the Middle East that Jesus has a palace in. It says, And He said unto them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Jesus was preaching and He said, Some of you are standing here. You won't be dead till the kingdom comes. Now, if this rapture story is true and Jesus didn't set up the kingdom and it's been 2,000 years now, we've got some really old people walking around somewhere. Because Jesus said, You won't die until you see the kingdom come. Either that or Jesus was wrong. And I don't believe either one of those. I believe Jesus was right. I believe the kingdom came. And I believe that's why Scripture tells many places people talk about being in the kingdom. Jesus answered Pilate and He said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight. His kingdom was not of this world. He went ahead and He said, "So that I should, They would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. When Jesus was arrested and standing in front of Pilate, Pilate says, they said, you're a king. Is that right? He said, well, my kingdom's not of this world. If it was, do you think Peter would have put up his sword? They'd be fighting, so I wouldn't be delivered. I'm their king. It's not a physical kingdom. It doesn't matter who's president of the United States or running Russia or leading Israel or Egypt or anywhere else. Because it's not a physical, worldly kingdom. That's not what it's about. It's a spiritual kingdom. I believe when we hear people talk about this, I talked to an old Jewish rabbi one time. And we were talking about different ideas. And he came to talk to a class that I had. And somebody asked him, they said, well, what about the rapture? And this is no, of course, he doesn't believe in Jesus. But this guy was, you know, he'd read The Late Great Planet Earth or some, some book about it. And he said, what about the rapture? And the Jewish rabbi sat there a minute and he said, well, he said, let me tell you this. Hal Lindsey wrote a bunch of those books about the end of the world and the rapture and all that. And really frightening books. He said, Stephen King writes horror novels. He writes scary books. How Lindsay writes scary books and just puts God in them. And you know, really, that's the truth. I don't agree with a lot of things that Jewish rabbi said, but I do agree with that. That it's a way to sell books. It's a way to make some big splash. It's a way to get attention or headlines. 
But it's just not what's taught in the Bible. And when your friends talk about that, when your friends believe that, you need to help them see that we serve a powerful and mighty God, not a God that can be thwarted by a bunch of Jews. We serve a God who had a plan, and that plan never changed. And that plan is spiritual. It's not physical. And one of the practical things that I myself got out of this is, you know what, I shouldn't get so worried about and so focused on stuff that happens here in this world. It shouldn't matter to me so much about the politics of this world. Because that's not what Jesus was interested in. That's not what Jesus was concerned about. Jesus was concerned about the souls of other people. The people who are lost in the kingdom of darkness. He brought a kingdom of light. And Jesus said that day's going to come like a thief in the night. And as we close, those are the unbiblical views we've noticed. I want to close with this verse. Now when they had spoken these things while they watched, He was taken up and a cloud received Him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as He went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw Him go into heaven. That's the last time human eyes here on this earth saw Jesus. Jesus was taken up and the people stood there. Can you imagine the scene? For me, I can't imagine standing there seeing that. I would stand and gaze up into heaven. (laughs) And two men in white remnant angels said, Guys, why are you just staring at the sky? You need to go get to work because He's coming back. And I believe that's the message for us today. Get to work because He's coming back. There's going to be a, a thief in the night day. But we're not in the night. We're in the light. We're in the day. We know He's coming. We need to warn those people who are in the darkness. We need to teach them we have a mighty and powerful God who will save their soul. And all the worldly things and the politics and stuff of the world don't affect us. What really affects us ultimately is our relationship with God. I hope you've been encouraged today. Uh, We do offer a song of invitation if you have a matter that needs to be brought before the church. Uh, Make that need known while we stand and sing.